Trigger warning. The following episode contains references to gore, sexual content, racism, human suffering, death, factual inaccuracies, several entitled people making light of all these things. If any of the aforementioned topics cause you discomfort, you may want to listen to a different episode. And once I jam this needle into my penis, I'll be the most syphilitic duck in all of Duckburg! <laughs> I'm Andy. Well, this plan didn't work for them then. Who's to say it couldn't not work for us now? I'm Adam. A night with Venus. A morning with Juno. Late afternoon tea with Jupiter. It's starting to get confusing in here. I'm Kelly. Someday I hope medicine progresses beyond we're going to kill you slightly less than the disease inside you. I'm Sean, and this is Acid Pop. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This week, we're going to be talking about syphilis. Ooh! (laughs) And this episode is brought to you by our patron, Joe. Sorry, Joe, your name just came up. Sorry, Joe, (laughs) Joe! So I've got a million points on the table for anyone who can guess where the word syphilis comes from. Specifics or, like, country? Specifics. Mm. Syphilis. Because I'll give you a clue. It's not like an old word that meant something. Isn't it? Uh, it's the Greek guy that had to like push the boulder up the hill forever while vultures came and ate him. <laughs> yep, that's, that's syphilis. Yep. No, it comes from the Latin psi meaning psychic and phyllis meaning phyllis diller. <laughs> <laughs> Some sort of plant. <laughs> well, it comes from a doctor named Guillermo Frasestero. <laughs> who published a poem in 1530. The poem is the story of a guy who insults Apollo and was cursed with the disease. His name in the poem was Syphilis. So that's huh. a U towards the end instead of an I. But for some reason, that name stuck, and here we are. So that okay. uh, Sisyphus guess was actually kind of close. <laughs> it was uh, leaning towards Greek mythology. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. So it may have been a Latin attempt at a Greek pair of words that meant pig lover, <laughs> but there's no way to know for sure. Pig That's just a theory. Lover. <laughs> Is that how he insulted Apollo by loving pigs? No, I think that was just like his, he was just an unlikable character. So mm-hmm. they just gave him an unlikable name. So it's also known as Venus's curse, Cupid's itch, a pox, And then it had lots of racial names. Oh, fun. If you were in Germany, you called it French disease. (laughs) If you were in France, you called it Italian disease. (laughs) The Dutch called it Spanish, Russians called it Polish, and Turkish people called it the Christian disease. (laughs) Take that. (laughs) So nosophobia is probably the closest relevant phobia, which is fear of contracting a disease from the Greek nosos, meaning disease. We've talked about that one before, but I don't remember where. Sounds like it's got a little xenophobia mixed in there. Yeah. (laughs) Don't know where it came from, but it wasn't here. (laughs) I don't know where it came from, but it was definitely the French. So we're going to skip the science and cover most of it in our acid pop quiz. So true or false, syphilis is a virus. I don't think Hmm. so. I'm going to say no. So false. I'm going to say true. 
I have no idea. I don't think it is. I don't remember. Because I know they treated it with malarial drugs or mercury. <laughs> but did that work? Uh, this is false. Syphilis is a bacteria. A spirochete bacteria, to be precise. So true or false, you can catch syphilis, be treated, and catch it again. I'm going to say yes, it's a bacteria. Yeah, bacteria don't care. <laughs> I thought syphilis was one of those things where you like, sort of had it forever, like mm. in remission or whatever. Mm. So I don't know if you would catch it again so much as have it research. So I'm going to say false. Well, this is unfortunately true. You can catch syphilis over and over and over as again. As many times as you want. <laughs> true, true or false, syphilis infections are on the rise. Oh, I'm going to say true, and I don't have a reason for it. People dirty. <laughs> False. For no reason. <laughs> um, I mean, true kind of makes sense because I know that since there's AIDS has become less scary, safe sex has become less well-practiced. <laughs> of course, right now we're all locked in our houses, so there might be a sudden dip there <laughs> yeah. at the end. So you're saying... I'm saying it has become more common. Hmm. Yep. This is true, and it has been since the early 2000s. Huh. No one's really sure why, but some people are blaming social media. What? What? Yeah, I don't know. That's, you know... And Facebook video games. gave me the syphilis. Yeah. Don't rub your penis on your computer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I caught me a computer virus. <laughs> I caught the millennium bug. <laughs> In the year 2000. <laughs> so we're on to our fill in the blank. How many new cases are there of syphilis each year? 30,000. Uh, 100,000. Mm, 500,000. Mm, Kelly's the closest without going over. It's about 6 million. Oh, okay. Hmm. Just so barely. very close. <laughs> So, if untreated, what are the odds of dying from syphilis? I mean, Ben Franklin lasted a long time. <laughs> the odds? Yeah, the mortality rate of syphilis. Untreated syphilis. 50-50. I'm going to say it's uh, 10%, so 1 in 10. I'm trying to think back to our unethical medical experiments episode. <laughs> a lot of those guys died. I don't know, 30%. Well, you guys are all in there, because I've got a bit of a wide range. But it was... This range was the same on several sites, so I guess everybody agrees on it, but it's between 8 and 58% (laughs) of people with untreated Hmm. syphilis will die. And the death rates are higher among men. Good statistics there, folks. Nice math. (laughs) Yeah. So some relatively recent findings show that if you have syphilis, you are more likely to contract HIV. How much more likely? Five times more likely. Uh... I don't. I, I couldn't get five out of my head. Sive. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm gonna say it's much, much higher. Like fifty times more likely. Ooh. Uh, twice as likely. Hmm? Well, Andy gets it. It's between three and five times more likely. <laughs> it's better than fifty. So during World War One, syphilis took out quite a few troops. On a scale of 1 to 10, where was it as far as taking out the most people? So, of like the top 10 things that took out soldiers during World War One, where was syphilis? Including like gas and bullets? Uh-huh. uh-huh. Oh, see. <laughs> syphilis is number one. Syphilis is number one. <laughs> I'm going to put it at four. Okay. 
behind gas, landmines, and bullets. I'm going to put it at six. Okay. And you're saying number one, Adam? Yep. Top of the oh. charts. <laughs> well, it's actually number two. Oh. As you'll recall from our flu episode, it only gets beaten out by the Spanish flu. So, yeah, I, d- I don't know what the rest of the scale was, but yeah, one was Spanish flu, two was syphilis, and then came bullets. <laughs> something. Who the hell knows? Yeah. So we're on to our terms. What was pyrotherapy? That was trying to burn the syphilis out of you with yep. fire. <laughs> yeah, my guess is something about raising the body temperature to try and get rid of it. Yep, yep. This is curing a disease by inducing a fever. It was actually effective, but we'll talk about why this technique isn't used anymore a little bit later. So what is guayacum? Guayacum. Mm-hmm. G-U-A-I-A-C-U-M. The semen of the earth. <laughs> <laughs> That's guayacum. Oh, damn it. <laughs> uh, hmm. I don't know. That's what they named the, the pustules or something. Ooh. I like pustules. Sounds like some sort of tree sap. It does. Some sort of early syphilis remedy made mm-hmm. of tree sap. You're pretty close, actually. This is a flower that was reputed to cure syphilis. It didn't. <laughs> but hey, it was reputed. Yeah. So that concludes our acid pop quiz. So first thing here, let's talk about the course of syphilis. Here's how it tends to go down these days. If you don't get treatment, that is. First, there's the primary stage. You develop a little red sore wherever you touched syphilis. Sometimes there's a few, and sometimes they break open and bleed, but usually it's just a painless red bump. If it's on the top of the shaft of your penis, you'll probably notice, but if it's under your penis, tucked in your vulva, or secreted away up your butt, you might not even know it's there. I'm going to notice every bit of my penis, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So this lasts for a few weeks. Next is the secondary stage. For most people, you'll get a rash where the sore was. Some people will get rashes all over, and some people may have a fever, sore throat, fatigue, and hair loss. But again, if you have a mild rash, you might not think anything of it. And again, this lasts for a few weeks. Then comes the scary one, the latent stage of syphilis. During this one, well, nothing really happens. Nothing visible, anyway. That doesn't sound very scary. Well, yeah, but the bacteria is spreading and growing throughout your body. Fun. This can last for as little as a year or take up to 30 years. Whatever it feels like. (laughs) Yeah, it takes a while sometimes. Is it based on height? I don't know what it's based on. (laughs) So then comes the worst part, which is the tertiary stage. Tertiary. (laughs) The good news is this only affects 15 to 30% of people with untreated syphilis. The bad news is you might go deaf or blind, lose your memories, get soft, breakable bones, have trouble controlling your muscles, go crazy, and die when all of your organs shut down. Oh no, you turn to a a forgetful jelly bone. Yeah. Forget and love us again. A noseless forgetful jelly bone. Now, you can take penicillin at any point during the infection and get rid of it, but it won't undo any damage that was done. So if you went blind, you'll stay that way. Oh, man. (laughs) If you're a pregnant mother who has syphilis, she can pass it on to her child, who will then suffer largely the same issues around age five or six. Jeez. Yep. 
And while it's most likely to be passed by a mother who got syphilis while pregnant, it's still possible to pass it on from an existing infection. So you could be unknowingly in that 30-year latency period and uh, pass syphilis on to your kid. I'm going to assume that they test for that now? Yeah, they basically test everybody for it. They test you for everything. So that's how it is now. But when it first showed up on the scene in Europe just before the 1500s, it was much worse. The primary and secondary stages were about the same, but there really wasn't a latency phase. You just went on to stage three. Why is that? Uh, No one's really sure. Um, There's some theories which I'll get into here, but... But uh, it happened much faster and included bonus effects like deep bone aches so you couldn't sleep. Bone? (laughs) Yeah, down to the bone. Large pus-filled abscesses that went all the way down to said achy bones. And parts of you rotting off, like your nose, fingers, and a good portion of the top of your head. Didn't eat that? Yeah, you just kind of fall apart <laughs> until there's not left enough left to go on. Uh, but imagine th- popping the largest sit you've ever popped in your life. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Be sure to bring a bucket. Then you can Blech. scratch those achy bones. Yeah. <laughs> Do it in the bath or something. Ah, now you're in a tub full of pus. <laughs> Relaxing. But it's one of those classic clawfoot tubs, so it's classy. <laughs> So no one's really sure why it was so nasty back then, but either we started to build up at least a little bit of immunity, or that particular mutation of syphilis was so nasty it ran itself into extinction. (laughs) Thank God. (laughs) But by the mid-1500s, it was somewhere between the nasty first version and where we are today. Interestingly, there's a bit of a debate on where it came from. There's basically three thoughts. One, Columbus and his men brought it back from America in 1493. Columbus. Yeah. This makes a lot of sense since the disease started to show up in 1495 in Spain and Italy, which is where Columbus sailed from. Number two, syphilis-type bacteria has been found in Europe from before 1492, So some people think it mutated into syphilis around 1495, and it was just a coincidence that Columbus came back at that time. And number three is that Columbus brought back one type of bacteria, and it mixed in with the European one and had a little baby syphilis. (laughs) (laughs) Hooray! Congratulations! Yeah. But either way, it wasn't around much before 1495, and it was around a lot after that. Maybe don't go around raping natives. Yeah. Always a good call. Now, historically, people have not reacted well to diseases, but especially when they're sexually transmitted like syphilis. It didn't take people long to work out you got this particular nasty by doing the nasty, and society quickly labeled it a sin and a punishment from God. Oh, good. Yes, fine. (laughs) That wasn't even on your list Hmm? of places it might have come from. That's true. I did forget about God. (laughs) And it was even in the poem. (laughs) Wrong God. (laughs) This was bad for several reasons. First, if you have it, if you were seen as a bad person and getting what was coming to you, there wasn't a lot of pressure for other people to help you. Second, your family tended to not take it well and disown you. And third, the fear of being treated like some sort of hellspawn led to lots of people trying to hide the fact that they had it and thus spreading it to lots more people. How dare you do something that feels good and that we're biologically programmed to do? (laughs) 
So since its discovery, people have been on the lookout for a cure. There were all the normal useless stuff, bloodletting, laxatives, and rubbing with oils or whatever. We'll poop it out. Yeah. <laughs> we'll shit the monster out. <laughs> As I mentioned, there was guaiacum. People were pretty convinced that syphilis came from America, and this little flower also came from America. <laughs> from America. Yeah. It follows that if the disease came from there, the cure must also come from there. Therefore, the cure was irrefutably guaiacum. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to say freedom. <laughs> bald eagles. We need more bald eagles. <laughs> when that didn't work, they tried rubbing their privates with a potato. <laughs> So this was popular for a couple hundred years until people caught on that it didn't work even a little. And then there was mercury. Lots mm. and lots of mercury. God wouldn't send us a liquid metal unless he wanted us to put us in his body, in our yep. bodies. <laughs> You'd come in covered in pus-filled sores, and they would take mercury and just rub it all up in those. Then mm. they would put you in a sealed box, light a fire underneath, and boil some mercury to fill the room and make sure you got it inside and out. Keep your lungs a nice sheen. Yeah. It's just like a haberdasher. <laughs> then it was a race to see which made you go crazy and die first. <laughs> Thus the saying, a night with Venus, a lifetime with mercury. It'd be cool if they had like distinctly different crazies so you yeah. could actually judge whether you were syphilis crazy or mercury crazy. Yeah. That would be nice. One of the worst ideas, and this is one that still comes up today for some god-awful reason, was that having sex with a virgin would cure you right up. Oh, God, that is that is everywhere. Yeah. So an interesting setback happened in the late 1700s. One Dr. John Hunter from Scotland, Ugh. <laughs> he was convinced that syphilis and gonorrhea were the same thing. So convinced was he that he decided to give himself gonorrhea to prove it. Let's pump he, the brakes, Doc. <laughs> well, he got a sample from a patient and injected it straight into his penis. The, oh, no. <laughs> God, why? <laughs> he, Dedication to the craft. That's what that is. <laughs> he then developed symptoms of both gonorrhea and syphilis, said, the, see, I told you, and died seven years later. You don't understand I've done it. <laughs> I jammed my penis with a rusty needle. Scottish medicine. <laughs> Turns out his patient Zero actually had both gonorrhea and oh, syphilis. Whoops. <laughs> but it would take another 50 years or so to prove Hunter's theory wrong. It hardly matters since the treatment for both was lots of mercury, but still. To this day, that's how you get your Scottish doctorate. <laughs> <laughs> In 1908, Paul Ulrich figured out that ingesting arsenic can kill syphilis <laughs> if it doesn't kill you first. He won the Nobel Prize and killed a smaller number of his patients than syphilis alone would have. Hooray. In 1927, Julius Wagner Urig figured out that a fever can kill syphilis. But not just any fever. Oh, no. You need to crank that up to 107 degrees. Doesn't Whoa. that kill the brain? <laughs> or That's 41.6 degrees Celsius. But a temperature of 108 degrees or 42.2 degrees Celsius will kill you. So that's a pretty small target to hit with old school mercury thermometers. So Urig found that the most reliable way to do this was to literally inject the syphilitic patient with malaria. Oh, uh, yes. <gasps> that would induce the fever he needed, but it also killed 15% of his patients. He also won a Nobel Prize. <laughs> <laughs> but that was before he got really into Hitler and started getting into eugenics in a big way. He really wanted to be a Nazi, but he had married a Jewish woman when he was younger, so no dice. Wait, 
They wouldn't allow it? Nope. So then, in 1940, it was shown that penicillin could cure bacterial infections. Interesting story there. In 1941, a policeman named Albert Alexander came to the hospital with a nasty bacterial infection in his face. The doctors had heard that penicillin could cure bacterial infections in mice, and since Alexander was going to die without help, they decided to try it out on him. Just do it. Yep. That's where Nike came from. <laughs> Within 24 hours, he had improved almost miraculously. I say almost because these days we know that you have to keep taking antibiotics. Uh-oh. <laughs> the doctors didn't have a lot of penicillin, and what with the world war going on, they couldn't get their hands on more. They ran out, and Alexander got worse. They distilled what penicillin they could from his pee and fed it right back to him. Oh, no. <laughs> But this cycle of diminishing returns ran out, too, and Alexander died. Give him the Bear Grylls cure. <laughs> <laughs> Still, it was promising, and by the 1940s, the stuff was used all over the place, and it cured syphilis. Which is pretty crazy. For about 400 years, this disease made your face melt off like you looked into the Ark of the Covenant, and <laughs> you couldn't stop it no matter how much poison you drank. Then one little shot, and poof, it's gone. Hooray. Yeah. Hooray for science. Yeah. It's not as, not as exciting as contracting malaria, though. That's true. But in order to get there, scientists had to test out that it worked first. Now, in our unethical medical experiments episode, we talked about the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, where some scientists sort of medically isolated a community of African Americans and stopped them from getting treatment for syphilis just to make super duper sure it would kill them. Spoiler alert. Yes, it, it did. <laughs> it extra did. Yeah. The flip side of this was the Guatemala syphilis experiments. This was led by John Charles Cutler, who got his start infecting prisoners with gonorrhea for a hundred bucks a pop. Did he do it the old fashioned way? <laughs> it's a good question. <laughs> Wait, are they paying him? <laughs> uh, no. He got a grant from the U.S. Public Health Service to go to Guatemala and infect a few hundred people with syphilis. He did this by paying prostitutes who had syphilis to sleep with prisoners, and also by injecting soldiers, mental patients, and orphans. He got a little carried away and ended up infecting about 1,300 people, all Just without telling them. He then gave penicillin to about half of them, and wouldn't you know it, it worked. Shame about the other 600 people or so, 83 of which died. Mm. Oh, and Cutler would go on to work on the Tuskegee syphilis experiment. So stop! stop he found his life's passion. Yeah. God, I just love giving people syphilis. <laughs> I wanted to be a villain, and here I am. <laughs> but yeah, even when not being treated like science experiments, people with syphilis have been shunned by society from the get-go. In 1724, a governor of Louisiana was getting sick of syphilis getting everywhere, and he came up with a plan. Since all these useless women were ruining good sailors, he right. thought, why not make them useful? Hmm. So he decided to round them all up and send them to the interior of the country to live with the Native Americans. Oh, no. Hey. They would surely have sex with the first people they saw and spread the disease around and maybe wipe out some Native Americans in the process. That's just what immoral women do. Yep. <laughs> they can't resist it. <laughs> in St. Louis in 1870, the town initiated the Social Evil Ordinance. So this meant that the city was divided into six districts. In each, the police were to find all the prostitutes and register them. 
Then a doctor would check them all for STIs. If they had any, they went to the social evil hospital where they were treated for syphilis with mercury and trained to do something more useful like cook food or wash clothes. The sign had little horns on it. (laughs) (laughs) And hey, here's the best part. The hospital was funded with taxes that came from the brothels. So it's a perfect plan. The only problem was they didn't quite know what they were getting into. Each district had one doctor to check out the women and collect their taxes. The first year, they registered 1,284 prostitutes, or about 200 per doctor. Jeez. (laughs) Prostitutes were also told to register where they lived so the doctors could keep track of them, but prostitution is a career that tends to move around based on demand, so in the first year, they got over 5,000 change of address forms. Sounds like malicious compliance. Yeah, it basically was. The doctors were so overwhelmed, they started giving out clean bills of health without (laughs) even seeing the women. (laughs) She doesn't look syphilitic. (laughs) Yeah. A police captain started to suspect something was up when he stopped a prostitute and asked to see her clean bill of health. And when she presented it to him, the examination date was three weeks in the future. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Yet another in a long list of government ideas that was underfunded and overburdened, which fell apart within four years. But probably the worst of all was the American plan. So this obscurely named doctrine from 1917 was an attempt to protect American soldiers from STIs, mostly syphilis. The logic was simple. Since all men get syphilis from women, clearly women are to blame. Excuse me? Mm-hmm. So what we need we to need do... We more gay soldiers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask, do tell. <laughs> <laughs> so what we need to do is find them, lock them up, and cure them before they can have sex with all the soldiers. And so that's what they did. Local officials were given free reign to detain and test anyone they felt looked like they might have an STI. Okay, good. Yes, nice. They would be thrown in jail, examined against their will, sometimes not even by a doctor, and if they were found to have an STI, they were sent to a reform center. That's what you need. There's a bunch of police officers going up and down the street saying, hmm, you look like a prostitute. Yeah, basically. (laughs) Excuse me? That's my wife! (laughs) (laughs) As I say, mostly if they had an STI, or if they looked like they might get one soon. Or if they looked particularly slutty and might have sex with someone soon who had an STI and then maybe have sex with a soldier. Or if they were black. They need precogs. Or if they turned down the examiner's advances. Yeah. Or sometimes, yeah, if they refused to have sex with the officer doing the arresting. Walking down the street like like you might have an STI. (laughs) You're going to jail. So if you ticked any of those boxes, off you went. No lawyer, no trial, just off to a reform hospital. Once there, you would be pumped full of mercury and arsenic. And if you looked like a troublemaker, you were sterilized. Oh. You were kept there for months until the doctors felt like the treatment had worked, and then you were free to go back to your families who had no idea where you were for the last three months. Sterilization doesn't necessarily take away sex drive scientists That's and doctors. true. Yeah, but you don't want more degenerates <laughs> being born, is generally the outlook. You probably don't want to have much sex when you come back looking like (laughs) T-1000. I'm into it. I was going to (laughs) say. That's true. Somebody is. And a chop. Yep. 
<laughs> Sean used to watch those Capri Sun commercials and be like, mm. <laughs> that was his awakening. <laughs> <laughs> I did love Alex Mack. <laughs> oh, but who didn't? <laughs> now, this could be used on anyone, but in a typical case in 1918, of the 1,121 people who were detained, 49 were male. The goal was to snag prostitutes, but frequently women were scooped up because they were young, seen near a soldier, or found eating by themselves in a restaurant. So, okay. Now, <laughs> so around men or nowhere near men? Yep. <laughs> yes. Hey, she's at the Buffalo Wild Wings by herself. Hey, that's a lady. So, so needless to say, a lot of women were a little miffed after they got out, and they sued everyone in the state, basically. Sometimes they won their cases and were compensated for their mistreatment, but oftentimes they weren't. And even if they were, the court had an attitude, something like, okay, in this particular instance, the police screwed up, but it's all for the greater good. And we have to keep this up. Bad, bad. And so they did for decades. In the 1940s, some of the detention facilities had to be shut down and repurposed to hold Japanese Americans and conscientious objectors. Boo. <laughs> after World War II, they got back to imprisoning women. To be fair, they were looking a little promiscuous, too. <laughs> <laughs> the ridiculous amount of power bestowed by the American plan slowly trickled away, but it's still technically on the books. It was brought up as recently as the 1990s as a way to deal with the AIDS crisis. <laughs> and in all that time, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of women have been sent to these hospitals to be cleansed. And that's why you should never have sex ever. <laughs> oh, man. This has been Sean's abstinence talk. <laughs> <laughs> hey, kids. Turns his chair around. <laughs> and that's the last of the stories that I had. I have no syphilis stories other than I know that Ben Franklin had it. Yeah. That is a good story. Good job, Ben. I, I think I mentioned this on another episode that I had a uh, benign skin condition in college that made me turn into a lizard temporarily. Um, but I, when it showed up, I uh, went through one of those like online WebMD flowcharts. That's the worst. You know? <laughs> Just following all the boxes. At the end, it was like, okay, you either have this benign skin condition or you have syphilis. Yeah. It's like, well, I'm pretty sure it's not syphilis. I was not a hypochondriac before the internet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's my, my closest to having a brush <sighs> with syphilis is the internet telling me I had it. But the internet also tells me I have cancer every other week. So. <laughs> yep. This just in. Why is this on the New York Times? Kelly has cancer. Oh, my God. Oh, goodness. I get daily emails from the New York Times right now on COVID. I kid you not, the headline of the one that most recently came into my inbox was The Darkest Winter. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. <laughs> I'm like, do we just need to be terrifying? Yeah, we've, we've got a Game of Thrones style winter coming up. <laughs> oh, good. Fun. With dire wolves? <laughs> yeah, there's one thing we're learning right now. It's diseases are scary. Especially if you don't know what to do about them. But not so scary that I don't want to go to the bar. Well, if nobody has any personal stories, we'll move on to what are your morals worth. So let's say you're presented with ten women, mm. and one of them definitely has syphilis. And it's your job to figure out which one and send them to a hospital to get cured. 
with penicillin? Uh, yeah, <laughs> eventually. Eventually. Oof. Can I use modern techniques? Yeah, but you have to do it. Ooh, gross. No. <laughs> I don't like blood. Why would you need blood? To find the bacteria. <laughs> That's where it is. <laughs> well, already this sounds like a porno casting, but strip down. <laughs> <laughs> You're part of the problem now, Andy. Making it a porno. I, I said it sounds like a porno, not that it is a porno. Well, if it sounds like a porno and walks like a porno. <laughs> if it sounds like a porno and walks like a porno, then it's Flesh Gordon. <laughs> hmm. I'm uh, I'm not qualified for this. I can't charge much for this. <laughs> I can charge an extreme amount of money for this because I don't want to do it. Uh, that's that's where I was leaning, but Andy's right. Like I'm not qualified. One in four Americans has herpes, and I don't know the difference between syphilis and herpes if I were to stare at a sore. Yeah, syphilis is called the great imitator because it has so many symptoms that are like other diseases and STIs. So hmm. can be hard to spot. Don't quote me on that one in four. It might be greater or lower. <laughs> it could be some other number. I can only charge like one in X people. Ten people times five dollars. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I can only charge like 500 bucks for this. Wait, so are we charging the people or am I just getting paid? You're just getting paid. Okay. Can I divide $100,000 between the 10 women? Yeah, I was going to say, for me, it's probably 20000 So that's 9000 for everyone that I examine and don't send away, and 10000 for the one that I do send away, and then 1000 for me. That extra $1,000 is really going to do it for her. Hmm? You said you she gets an extra $1,000? No, 10. Oh, extra 10. That's pretty good. <laughs> it still might, though. 1000 for just getting examined, 10000 for going to the hospital. Got it. My brain's a bit muzzy tonight. <laughs> muzzy. Plus one for me. Like I said, I can, only, I, can, I can only charge whoever's giving me this money like 500 bucks because I'm going to get this wrong. <laughs> you get what you pay for. Yeah, I don't know if I could charge for that service. Two people doing it for free. Yeah. You're hired. <laughs> yeah, but I have an associate's in English. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> so automatically my price goes up. Have fun sending... I mean, regardless, it's an innocent woman, but an innocent and perfectly well woman off to be locked up in a hospital. But the prescription will be written so eloquently. <laughs> I assume they'll have better testing over there. So you're going with 100000 there? Mm-hmm. Okay. How much is everybody getting? Oh, I'm just divided equally between them. <laughs> equally? Even the one that goes away? Uh, I'm not doing math. She can have double <laughs> what everyone else gets. That is hard math. So, so Kelly needs 110000 yeah. And nothing for me. <laughs> I'm not doing anything worth money. I'm going to do it for free so they can't question my motives. Yeah. <laughs> That'll hold up in court. <laughs> yep. Your Honor, I wasn't paid to kill this man. <laughs> <laughs> you don't understand. I poked and prodded their vaginas for free. <laughs> all right. Well, I think that's all we have for this week. Thanks to my co-host for joining me today. Thanks for our symptom-free editor, Gerard. If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Acid Pop Podcast. You can contact us through our Reddit or email us at acidpoppodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can look us up on Patreon to get access to episodes early and bonus episodes. Thanks for tuning in. And remember, never have sex. Bye.